Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We worship an awesome God in the blue states. The, the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America. My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Welcome to the history of evangelicals and politics, the Obama era. This is episode 20, the Federal Marriage Amendment. I'm John Fia. On February 24, 2004, President George W. Bush announced his support for an amendment to the United States Constitution banning same-sex marriage. With states like Massachusetts and cities such as San Francisco and Portland, as we have already seen, issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples, Bush concluded that the only way to stop more states and cities from following suit was to change the Constitution. Unless action is taken, he said, we can expect more arbitrary court decisions, more litigation, more defiance of the law by local officials, all of which adds to uncertainty. Bush referenced Article 4, Section 1 of the Constitution, the so-called Full Faith and Credit Clause, which stated that full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts and records and judicial proceedings of every state. As we have seen in previous episodes, this clause was interpreted by advocates of gay marriage to mean that a same-sex couple married in a state where gay marriage was legal could demand that any other state recognize their marriage. The Clinton administration placed limits on the full faith and credit clause's application to same-sex marriage in 1996 with the Defense of Marriage Act, which gave a state the right to refuse to recognize same-sex marriages that took place in other states. But Bush now worried that so-called 
activist courts like the one in Massachusetts might strike down the Defense of Marriage Act, forcing states that banned same-sex marriage to recognize the marriages of those married in states that permitted the practice. The only way to protect the view of marriage that undergirded the Defense of Marriage Act was through a constitutional amendment. Bush concluded that the union of a man and a woman is the most enduring human institution, honored and encouraged in all cultures and by every religious faith. Ages of experience, he went on, have taught humanity that the commitment of a husband and a wife to love and to serve one another promotes the welfare of children and the stability of society. Marriage cannot be severed from its cultural, religious, and natural roots without weakening the good influence of society. Bush called upon Congress to promptly pass and to send to the states for ratification an amendment, protecting marriage as a union between one man and one woman, while leaving the state legislatures free to make their own choices in defining legal arrangements other than marriage. We'll come back to that point in a minute. We'll return to the fallout of Bush's remarks in our next episode. But in this episode, we want to explore the short history behind the attempts to pass a federal marriage amendment. When Bush made his announcement, members of Congress were already at work trying to get such an amendment passed. In May 2002, a newly formed nonprofit called the Alliance for Marriage managed to get the attention of a few members of Congress. The Alliance for Marriage was founded in 1999 by Matt Daniels, an Ivy League trained lawyer who held a PhD in politics from Brandeis University. Daniels founded the Alliance for the purpose of promoting marriage and addressing the epidemic of fatherless families in the United States. Daniels grew up in Spanish Harlem and was raised by a single mother before winning a scholarship to Dartmouth College. The Alliance for Marriage grew out of his personal story. He believed that strong marriages between one man and woman were the bedrocks of civilization and he did not want children to have to struggle through their early lives in the way that he had during his childhood in New York City. Daniels had an evangelical conversion experience sometime in the early 1990s and soon got involved in Christian right political organizations, including a stint as the director of the Massachusetts Family Institute, a state branch of James Dobson's national organization, Focus on the Family. Daniels was an imposing figure at six foot four with a booming voice that one reporter said tended to get louder whenever he was talking about his opposition to same-sex marriage. Daniels knew how to command a room. He was an evangelical Presbyterian, but made sure that the Alliance for Marriage was an ecumenical organization. Daniels chose to work with Jews, Muslims, and anyone else concerned about the fate of traditional marriage in America. He developed close relations with the Black and Hispanic communities and went out of his way to find spokespersons from these communities. One of those spokespersons, civil rights icon Walter Fontroy, we met in our last episode. 
Even former Major League Baseball Commissioner Bowie Kuhn, a devout Catholic, served on the board of the Alliance. One of Daniel's strategies was to hire legal scholars to write amicus briefs for the Alliance for Marriage. In 2001, he worked with former federal judge Robert Bork, Princeton University scholar Robert Robbie George, and Notre Dame law professor Gerald Bradley to write a federal marriage amendment. In his defense of the amendment, Robert George argued, marriage at its core is a sexual union. And as a result, the federal government should be permitted to bar states from offering the legal benefits of marriage to couples engaged in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. George added that states could define civil unions any way they wanted to define them. He described the creation of the amendment as a messy process. The authors circulated informal drafts via email and discussed wording over the phone. He said that their work was rushed by Daniel's need to announce the text of the amendment quickly in order to gain the support of members of Congress. Daniel said that the drafters did not worry too much about the exact wording of the amendment because I don't think we expected that there would be this much attention paid to it. Robert George added, if anyone imagines that a modern James Madison went into a room and penned the amendment, that would not be an accurate picture. It was a much more fluid process with many participants. The final text of the amendment read, Marriage in the United States shall consist only of the union of a man and a woman. Neither this constitution or the constitution of any state, nor state or federal law, shall be construed to require the marital status or the legal incidents thereof be conferred upon unmarried couples or groups. Daniels convinced Mississippi Congressman Ronnie Shows to propose the amendment to the House on May 15, 2002, and it quickly picked up 22 co-sponsors. House Resolution 93, as the amendment was called, made it as far as the House Subcommittee on the Constitution, but this committee never took action on it. The amendment never made it to the Senate either. But that did not mean it did not have its supporters in the upper house. One of those senators was Rick Santorum of Pennsylvania. In early 2002, as Daniels's team of scholars was nearing the end of its work, Santorum sent a letter to his supporters encouraging them to make donations to the Alliance for Marriage. The letter read, I know it may sound like a huge exaggeration, particularly in light of the attack on America. This was a reference to the September 11, 2001 attacks. But this may truly be the most important letter I ever write to you. The phrase, most important letter I ever write to you, was underlined in the letter for emphasis. Santorum asked his constituents to help the Alliance for Marriage flood Congress with petitions to protect traditional marriage against the threat of homosexual activists. Santorum's critics wasted no time pointing out how the Pennsylvania senator seemed to equate 9-11 terrorism with gay marriage. Though the first attempt to get a federal marriage amendment passed went nowhere, 
Daniels and his seven employees at the Alliance for Marriage were not that easily deterred. About one year later, in early 2003, as the Supreme Court got ready to hear arguments in Lawrence v. Texas, a case that would strike down state anti-sodomy laws, some additional members of Congress saw the need to give solid constitutional footing to traditional marriage. In April, Daniels's amendment was reintroduced in the House of Representatives by Marilyn Musgrave, a first-term congresswoman from Colorado. The text was identical to the 2002 amendment proposed by Snow, composed by Bork, George, and Bradley, and promoted by the Alliance of Marriage. This time around, the bill managed to secure 131 co-sponsors in the House, including Mike Pence of Indiana, Jim Ryan of Kansas, Jim DeMint of South Carolina, Steve King of Iowa, Eric Cantor of Virginia, Henry Hyde of Illinois, John Boehner of Ohio, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, Jeff Flake of Arizona, Roy Blunt of Missouri, and Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. There were also a handful of Democratic House members who supported the amendment. Musgrave gained national attention for introducing Daniels's amendment. The 54-year-old mother and grandmother was a devout Pentecostal who attended the Sanctuary Church, an Assemblies of God congregation in Fort Morgan. She represented Colorado's fourth congressional district, which included most of the state's Eastern Plains, along with the cities of Fort Collins and Greeley. Musgrave had a track record fighting against gay marriage. She had led efforts to ban the practice while serving in the Colorado legislature in the 1990s. And in 1999, her bill to ban same-sex marriage in the state was signed into law by Republican Governor Bill Owens after two previous vetoes by Owens' predecessor, Democrat Roy Romer. The federal marriage amendment gave Musgrave her 15 minutes of fame, especially among the Christian right. D. James Kennedy's Center for Christian Statesmanship gave her the Distinguished Christian Statesman Award. In her acceptance speech, Musgrave said that Kennedy's nationally syndicated radio program, Truths That Transform, inspired her political career. She added that she was so encouraged that there was a minister of the gospel that said what was right and what was wrong what our responsibility was as Christians in this great nation. She described Kennedy, a revered leader of the Christian right, the pastor of Florida's Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and one of American evangelicalism's most recognized preachers as her hero. Musgrave's own denomination, the Assemblies of God, awarded her the Superintendent's Medal of Honor, and the American Conservative Union ranked her as the most conservative member of the House of Representatives in 2006. Rank-and-file conservative evangelicals were thrilled with the amendment proposal. Stanley Grant, a member of Musgrave's district and the pastor of Heritage Ministries in Greeley, wrote an op-ed in the Fort Collins, Colorado, praising Musgrave and defending the amendment. I'm not a rocket scientist, he wrote. But when I see that homosexual acts are plainly described as abominations or vile passions in the Bible, 
I can safely conclude that God will not bless the activities associated with that lifestyle. I can also conclude that God will not continue to favor a nation that panders to these sexual mores. The folly in America today, he wrote, is that many think we can bless what God does not bless, but that is a mindset embraced by fools. Grant encouraged his readers to memorize the words to the song, God Bless America, since in reality, that song is a prayer put to music, and it's one of the ways that we petition God for the favors of heaven. In June 2003, Musgrave's amendment, now known as House Resolution 56, was sent to the House Subcommittee on the Constitution. The following month, it received the endorsement of GOP Senate Majority Leader, Tennessee's Bill Frist. Musgrave started making appearances on the Today Show, National Public Radio's Morning Edition, Fox News, and other national media outlets to defend the amendment. Following the November 18, 2003 Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court's decision in Goodridge v. Massachusetts Department of Public Health, the one that legalized same-sex marriage in Massachusetts, Musgrave claimed that the phone in her office was ringing off the hook with constituents, asking her to push harder on the passage of the Daniels Amendment. Suddenly, she said, the clear and present danger of the legalization of gay marriage is very obvious to people. Today, it's real. Wayne Allard, Colorado's Republican senator, also must have believed that things were getting real. One week after the Goodridge decision, he introduced Senate Resolution 26. His amendment proposal made a few small changes to the Daniels-Musgrave Amendment. He substituted the word marriage for marital status and replace the words unmarried couples or groups with the phrase, any union other than the union of a man and a woman. The changes, Allard noted, were to make it clear that state legislatures could still recognize civil unions if the amendment passed. Co-sponsors of Allard's amendment included Sam Brownback of Kansas, Jeff Sessions of Alabama, Jim Imhoff of Oklahoma, Santorum of Pennsylvania, and Trent Lott of Mississippi. Gay rights activists and their allies, of course, opposed the Musgrave and Allard amendments. Some conservatives, such as columnist George Will and Wisconsin Congressman Paul Ryan, said that an amendment was not necessary due to the Defense of Marriage Act. And not everyone on the Christian right was satisfied either with the proposed amendment. The Daniels Amendment, some argued, still left plenty of room for states to recognize same-sex unions and domestic partnerships in the way that Vermont and California had already done by this point. Though Daniels was not a fan of civil unions, he was also a self-described political realist. I operate within feasibility, he claimed. This is the only way to get an issue like this passed. Daniel cited polls that suggested Americans were making a clear distinction at marriage. And if some states want to allow civil unions, well, that's life in a democracy. Musgrave, Allard, and their congressional co-sponsors seem to agree. 
But the opposition within the Christian right was strong and powerful. One unidentified member of a Christian right pro-family organization said that Musgrave's ecumenical coalition resembled the bar scene in Star Wars. Jan LaRue of Concerned Women for America said that if this amendment were to pass, states could be free to create marriage in another name, a phony marriage. If we are going to take the time and trouble of amending the Constitution, she said, we prefer stronger language. Another representative of Concerned Women for America, Robert Knight, said that Daniels's amendment allowed states to do something that we regard as immoral and destructive. Gary Bauer, the 2000 presidential candidate and Christian right leader, called Daniels's proposed amendment an appropriate starting point, but added, it is not what I would prefer. James Dobson at Focus on the Family, Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council, Sandy Rios of Concerned Women for America, and Paul Wyrick of the Free Congress Foundation sided with purity. They believe that homosexuality was a sin and the government should thus not tolerate it, whether in the context of marriage or civil unions. In October 2003, former Nixon White House staffer turned born again Christian and prison reformer Chuck Colson gathered Christian right leaders together in Arlington, Virginia, where they wrote a draft of an amendment that included an additional sentence. It read, neither the federal government nor any state shall predicate benefits, privileges, rights, or immunities on the existence, recognition, or presumption of non-marital sexual relationships. This addition essentially meant that a state could still endorse civil unions, but the same benefits afforded to gay couples living in the same household must then also be applied to householders who were not gay, such as, to use Colson's words, unmarried heterosexual couples or two old spinsters. The Arlington Group's proposed amendment never made it to Congress. When George Bush endorsed a federal amendment in February 2004, the Musgrave and Allard resolutions, promoted by Daniels and written by Bork, George, and Bradley, were the only amendments under consideration on Capitol Hill. In our next episode, we will discuss more fully Bush's understanding of a federal marriage amendment and how he made its passing a vital part of his reelection campaign. Stay tuned. The History of Evangelicals and Politics is produced by Casey Lehman. It is a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com and clicking the red support button.